If we have objectively decided that we are going to pay something, then I tell the threat actors that. We intend to pay you. And then every message after that, I remind them of that fact. Hi, and welcome to Sabi Reason's Malicious Life B-Sides. I'm Ren Lev. Well, it finally happened. The threat you were worried about materialized. The shit has hit the fan. Things went south. All hell broke loose. I'm actually out of cliches. Your organization was hit by ransomware, and it is now time to reach out to the hackers and negotiate the terms of a deal that will bring back your data and hopefully won't leave the company's coffers empty. But before you sit down in front of your computer and fire off a message to the hackers, stop. Are you sure that you know what you're doing? Are you certain that you won't screw up the negotiations and do more harm than good? Curtis Minder is an experienced ransomware negotiator, and he has plenty of examples of clients who took their ransom negotiation into their own hands and blundered it. Badly. In the following conversation with Nate Nelson, our senior producer, Curtis talks about the various negotiation techniques he and his colleagues at GroupSense, a digital risk protection services company he founded, employ when negotiating a deal with the bad guys. Why shouldn't you lie to the hackers? How does one decide what's a reasonable amount to pay? And why sometimes working with clients is as difficult as dealing with the hackers? It's an utterly fascinating peek into the mind of a ransomware negotiator. Enjoy the interview. Who's usually on the other end of the line? Is it the cyber criminals themselves or like low-level employees of larger ransomware groups? It does depend on the group. There are individual actors who, There are affiliates, which are basically leveraging sort of the ransomware as a service platforms. And then there are the ransomware groups that we know from the news, like Conti, uh, Black Matter, et cetera. The groups, you know, having worked with them for years now, have fairly complex organizations. And we saw that from the Conti leaks when we saw their chats. Um, so usually, you know, generally speaking, if you're dealing with a, with a ransomware group, The first person you're interacting with is a very low level, like you use the word employee of that organization. And they have basically a script that they're working off of, and they have certain boundaries as to what they can and cannot do, say, or offer you. By the way, do you identify yourself as a ransomware negotiator in order to create the space where they can know that you're going to do a business deal? Or do you pretend to speak as the victims that The, the attackers don't know that your client has hired someone like you we used to because there's a there's an advantage to being a third party um, from a foil perspective if you're familiar with the concept where I can convey things like oh man you know what you're saying I understand but I don't think my clients gonna go for this and you use a client as a foil or uh, so there's advantages to being a third party however over the course of the last year I was probably a little over a year ago many of the threat actors have recognized that professional negotiators were being brought in and they were probably 
not seeing the results that they had intended and there was you know lengthening the process and making it more complex and so they they blogged about this and that they you know and, and attached a bunch of threats to it like if we find out you're dealing with a professional negotiator we will just dump all your data and delete the decryptor and you'll never get your files back i don't think that's ever happened or at least in our case it's never happened um but when we saw that we decided to to back up and 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 just play the role of the victim uh whenever possible so is there a consistent tone that you always try to strike in these conversations or do you sort of feel it out based on the kinds of messages that you're getting from them no no it's it should be consistent um you know our policy around how to interact with these threat actors is to be respectful be slightly deferent um, and then and treat it like a business transaction, try to keep the emotion out of it, which is one of the advantages of using a firm like us versus you know the victim handling it themselves. It's very hard for the victim to put themselves in an impartial role. And so you know approaching it as a business transaction, taking the emotion out of it and, and being sl- polite and slightly different is is consistent across whichever group we're dealing with. Are there any little tricks that you can share? about what typically makes these negotiations go well and what helps you get to lower numbers? I wouldn't call it a trick, actually. I mean, I I do think that it's sometimes counterintuitive, but being fairly transparent about the situation from your side, uh, often we find that the threat actors are using things like basically common business intelligence tools like... um, Zoom info, et cetera, or sometimes they're just Googling the company. And that's where they get their their information about the size of the business, potentially how much revenue they have, how many employees, et cetera, and, and somewhat subjectively setting a price. But why can't you just tell them that the Google data isn't accurate? You cannot lie in most cases because because, as you know, most of the threat actors are taking a copy of your data before they do this, before they lock your files. And in that data, they often have your financials. <laughs> now, they may not have taken the time to really look through them or understand them, but they have them. So, you know, lying is is kind of a bad strategy there. So what happens if the hackers see a big valuation on Google, they think they could get a lot of money out of you, they send you a number, and they're not willing to negotiate on it? If you read the ransom notes of many of the groups, they, they actually say the words in the note contact us so we can make a deal. So they're they're saying on the front end of this is that you should not pay this, the price on the window, <laughs> right? We don't intend for you to do that. And so understanding that going in, um, that they've buffered on their side, you're going to buffer on yours and have a business discussion um, is where you get to a reasonable number. Okay. How do you determine what's reasonable for your client? There's a whole bunch of stuff you have to do on the front end to get to the point where you understand what what a number that makes sense is, and then everything flows from there. All of that is sort of a, flows down to a set of bullets that describe the impact of the business um, and objectively explain why you can't pay what they're asking, uh, and, and as quantitatively as possible, and effectively making a business case for a different number that you've decided on as a business. You make it sound so simple. Are there any stories of when coming up with a number wasn't so easy to do? 
I got a couple stories. <laughs> One is um, when we were doing this business impact assessment for a large manufacturer, and we were going through our list of things to consider and things to try to put a, a number or a label on priority-wise. They, as part of that discussion, the, the CISO, uh, the, the Chief Information Security Officer, says to me, we are one of the number one manufacturers of this, this particular product in the world. We've been doing this for 100 years. Uh, we have specific trade secrets and intellectual property that makes us better at this than everyone else in the world. And it's kind of like the recipe for Coke, right? And, and the guy goes, I'm concerned that these threat actors took a copy of that intellectual property. And while at the end of this, we may agree that they delete it, if it should get in the hands of, for example, my largest Asian competitor, in five years, I have a much larger business problem to address. And to put a label on that or the value of that or, or the impact of that is quite hard. <laughs> and that had not occurred to me. And now, you know, that we've now built that into our model about well, what, what data have they taken and how could that impact you long-term? But that, you know, that happened about a year ago and it, it really, it kind of rocked me when, when we had that discussion. And on the other end of the spectrum, do you ever work with like smaller mid-sized businesses and then is your process similar for them? That's a very different discussion. And, and, and frankly, I'll be honest with you, it's, it's a little bit emotional a lot of times for even for me or my team because we're not talking about a boardroom full of people anymore. We're talking about Mary. <laughs> and Mary built a, an accounting practice over the last 18 years, working hard. She's got 12 employees. She's going to have to lay off on Wednesday if we don't solve this. Right. So take us back into the room. What general negotiation tactics apply to ransomware? And what about ransomware is unique from any other kind of negotiation scenario? Frankly, the, the tools of the trade, if you will, are not too different. And often... <laughs> I, you know, when we do get, uh, let's say, a log jam in a negotiation or something like that, I will refer to those frameworks to say, okay, well, how do we, how can we break that log jam? And, and we use a lot of the same tools that you would use in a boardroom or buying a car, <laughs> um, or in the case of Chris Voss negotiating over, you know, a hostage situation. We use a lot of the same tools, and I—I I mean, I'll even sometimes I'll even text Chris Voss and say, "Hey, dude, <laughs> I used this, and here's what it did." Are you able to tell us what tools you and Chris use in these situations? Like, I'll give you one example. I don't want to give away all of the trade tricks, but most of the time, it comes down to simple human behavior. And you know, when we get stuck, sometimes you know, a, a lot of the the negotiation books will refer to. Um, tools like asking asking your opponent to solve the problem for you. And surprisingly, that works a lot of times. Just saying, how, here's my situation. Tell me how we can come to it. Tell me how we can solve this, please. And being kind. And for some, some reason, humans like to solve your problems, <laughs> even your opponents. And they will come back with a suggestion. And it might not be exactly right, but it breaks a logjam and we're able to move forward with the discussion. It's, it's fascinating. Interesting. So are there any other publicly known not-so-secret tactics that you can share with us here? One of the tools that we use, I call it plant the seed and water the seed, which is 
you know, if we have objectively decided as a, you know, from a victim and in, in our perspective that we are going to pay something, then I tell the threat actors that in the beginning, we intend to pay you. And then every message after that, I remind them of that fact. Now, if I'm doing this right, I'm going to put myself in this category where they're like, you know, these guys are kind of a pain and it's taking a long time. Let's just take what we can get. And some threat actors will do that. And, uh, and they'll move on because they've got a volume of victims. They've got a pipeline of which you're, you know, they might be doing 30, 40 of these at a time. And uh, when you become, you know, high maintenance, low value, they'll just take what's on the table and go. You know, that's part of the strategy. Today's complex ransomware operations, or ransom ops, have evolved to include sensitive data exfiltration for double extortion, rendering post-execution defense approaches and data backups largely ineffective. So why are so many security providers still pushing alert-centric tools that only focus on the tail end of the attack, the ransomware payload? The best strategy for organizations to avoid becoming a victim of ransomware is to prevent the attack from being successful in the first place. CyberReason remains undefeated in the fight against ransomware because it moved beyond alerting to deliver an operation-centric approach that detects and prevents ransomware attacks at the earliest stages of initial ingress and lateral movement. The CyberReason predictive response capability disrupts ransomware attacks prior to data exfiltration and long before the ransomware payload can be delivered. CyberReason is dedicated to teaming with defenders to end cyber attacks from endpoints to the enterprise to everywhere, including today's complex ransom ops attacks. Visit cyberreason.com to learn more about predictive ransomware protection and how your organization can realize both increased efficiency and efficacy through an operation-centric approach to security operations. All right, so now that we have some idea of the kinds of tools and methods that you use to make these conversations go a little bit better, on the other side of the spectrum, what should victims and negotiators never do? We often, um, I won't say often, we've been pulled into a number of situations mid-flight. One of the things we say internally is negotiations end well when they start well. There's a momentum that is built <laughs> that is really hard to reverse in in these because the bad guy doesn't care you know that you switched you know operators they don't care that you switched negotiators they don't care that you hired a firm some of them actually do care they they don't want you to hire a firm but the um, me versus the victim versus some other they don't you know it's hard to to re hit a reset button and because we got pulled into a number of these in the middle we've seen transcripts that are not good. Not good such as? I mean, generally, it's the opposite of what I've said so far, right? It's, it is, don't be antagonistic. Don't lie. And negotiate in good faith. Don't don't play trick. They, they, keep in mind, these, some of these groups do hundreds of these a month, or if not thousands. There's no tricks that they have not seen. In the beginning, maybe you could do it, but they've, they've iterated. They're not stupid. Um, don't treat them like they're stupid. <laughs> Or, or it's going to get you in trouble. Yeah. So in your experience, what are like the biggest 
one or two mistakes that you've ever seen a client make? One time we got pulled into a case. Uh, it was a, a large service provider had been hit and they called us up and they said, hey, look, we were referred to you. Um, and we had started engaging with the threat actor already and it's not going well. And I said, okay, well, you know, so we start at the beginning, I walk them through our process and we, we say, okay, we're, I'll take a look at the transcript, but we need to go back to the starting block and decide, you know, we need to all agree on, on what the business impact is, et cetera. And so I take them through our process. But when we were looking at the transcripts, <laughs> the first person that sat down at the keyboard said, hi, you know, we got your note and, uh, you know, how do we solve this or something like that? So I'm paraphrasing. And the bad guy said, and we are Conti and uh, we have taken your files and blah, blah, blah. They, they give you a laundry list of all the leverage they have. And at the end, they said, identify yourself. And the person said, I'm changing the name to protect the innocent, but they used the real name. I'm Jim Smith. I work at this company. This is my email address. This is my phone number. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That that doesn't seem like a good idea. Like when I'm reading the transcript, I, I turned to the one of the owners of the company, one of the partners of the company, and I was like, your IT person just doxed themselves to a cyber criminal on command. Why did they do that? <laughs> and then the, the next thing the bad guy says is, well, we want uh, $1.4 million. And the victim who's at the keyboard says, well, we've only got 50000 to offer you. He gives no reason. He doesn't explain their financial situation. He doesn't do it. He just says, we've, we've only got 50000 And the, I'm, I'm paraphrasing a little bit for simplicity, but basically the threat actors come back and say BS, you know, and they, they use strong language and they say, we have a copy of your finances. We know how much money you made. You know, this is not a credible offer. And they said, he, he came back immediately and said, okay, f- you know what? We can, we can afford $125,000. And this goes back and forth. And eventually he just keeps coming back with a higher number. And by the time that they called us and they took the keyboard away from this person, they, he had offered them 250000 So when I was explaining to the partner of the firm the situation that we were in and how it was going to be difficult for me to reverse, you know, for example, you used round numbers. It ended in a zero, right? Which um, signals that there's no specific reason. Wait, why is that? If you had come back to me and said, I can afford $52,347.26, that signals like there's some kind of math involved other than me coming up with an arbitrary number. You didn't do that. You, you, you use round numbers. The, the other thing you did is you came up with $200,000 in 15 minutes that you didn't have before, which told me that every number you've given me so far is arbitrary and that there's more money to be had. And uh, one last thing I'll say is another mistake that other folks make is Keep in mind that the first person that you're interacting with in most cases probably doesn't speak English at all. That means what they're pasting into the chat window is some script, right? And what when you respond to that person, they're taking what you typed and putting it into Google Translator, Babelfish, or whatever. And what's important about understanding that situation is that the language you use is going to be translated into their native language probably poorly. And understanding the tone and context of the words you use in that language is important. That's such a nuanced thing, uh, but it is extremely important to understand. And a lot of people don't think about things like that when they're interacting with these folks. 
How does that affect how you talk to ransomware actors? Is it just that you know to use simpler and more direct language? Certainly, yes, simple is important. Um, but also, we, we do have on staff, you know, native language speakers, 15 plus languages, including the most common languages um, that the, the threat actors are using. So we understand, um, we, you know, we natively understand what these words mean and, and what words are sort of deferent in tone versus, you know, antagonistic in tone and, and things like that. So we, we're, we're careful about it. Uh, and we're educated about it, and we are talking about people's livelihoods here and, and people's other people's money, um, so we don't take it lightly. Right. So between all of the discussion that we've just had about the kind of tactics that you are able to use, the kind of mistakes that clients tend to make, these little sort of nuances, taken as a whole, it seems like uh, victims, generally speaking, will be out of their depth when negotiating with their own attackers. So, when they call you in, uh, do they play any role in your process, your clients, or do they just sit off to the side while you do your thing? This probably varies from firm to firm, but when we started doing this um, at the beginning, you know, we recognized that this is a very gray area. If we were, for example, to take a case where we said, okay, well, what can you afford? And they said, $50. Um, or get it to close to zero as possible or whatever. And then we said, okay, we'll be back. We'll let you know how it goes. And we disappear into the dark web and have our negotiation. And then we come back with a number, um, which is, by the way, how some firms operate. <laughs> that is so opaque and rife for the accusation of fraud that you know, it's, it's just a dangerous, it's a dangerous way to operate. And so from the very beginning, uh, in addition to the business impact, which is a role they play, right, that, that discussion, that sort of gaming out what this is worth to them um, through the entire process, they play a role in, in the actual negotiation. We 100% transparency, no message is sent to the threat actors without the approval of the client. Um, now we we occasionally refuse to send a message that they suggest. Sometimes clients get upset and they'll start insisting we use foul language or something, and we won't we won't do that. But for the most part, we will educate the client as to what we're doing, what the plan is, why we're saying what we're saying, and what that means, and what the expected outcome is. And if they disagree and they want us to say something else, we will. What's an example of like a bad request that you've gotten from a client? I have one where we were doing a case and we had suggested a message and there's there's some tactics around timing, uh, delay, and the time that a message is sent. And so that's that's part of this. And we say, okay, well, we've decided on collectively, the client and us, we decided on our next step. And that message is going to go out at 8.52 p.m. Eastern or something like that. And, uh, and at like 7 p.m., I get a call from one of the partners at the firm and they say, hey, you know, I'm looking back at this message that we agreed on and I was going to make a, a, a change suggestion. I said, well, lay it on me. And he says, I'd like to change this word to onerous. <laughs> and I was like, well, Pete, I, I frankly don't know how onerous translates in Ukrainian and I don't think that's a good idea, but I will do it if you like. And he said, oh, no, no, that's a good point. <laughs> 
yeah, you know, I'm trying to step into your shoes here. And I can imagine if you have a client who's a little bit confident, maybe they could start stepping on your toes. And suddenly, you're not just negotiating with ransomware attackers, you're negotiating with your own client. That's the best way to handle it. That's a good way to put it. I mean, it is it, it is bidirectional. You're simultaneously educating, sometimes depending on the size of the client, acting as a therapist. We've had some funny ones where there was a construction company. This is going to sound like I'm making this up, but it's totally true. <laughs> there was a construction company. It was three uh, brothers and they told us that you know, the, what happened, we walked through the business impact, whatever. And one of the brothers at the very end of the, the initial discussion about the engagement said, hey, you know, where are these effing guys at in, in a very thick accent? And uh, I said, well, th- this particular group operates primarily out of Russia. There's a few members, I believe, in Belarus, but for the most part out of Russia. And he goes, well, can we get to them? And uh, and I said, I, you know, I don't think that's a, I don't think that's a great idea. Um, we, we also we had one for a software company that did a lot of AI work, and they asked for some of our intelligence data so that they could attack the the threat actors, and or attempt to decrypt and a few other things on their own. That was new, and you know, of course, I don't advocate hackback necessarily um, for a lot of reasons, but you know, they are a client, so we gave them the data and not, you know. Let, let them go to town. <laughs> okay. I won't comment on that. Um, so in general, how do you know when you're done with a negotiation? Is it when you reach the target number that you've decided on with your client at the beginning of the process? Or do you ever like hit that number and then think maybe I could keep going and continue negotiating with the attackers from there? Yeah. I mean, you know, keep in mind that we're paying foreign adversaries. I, I did this I did this piece for Inc. Magazine where I talked about how cyber hygiene and 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 personal responsibility around cyber hygiene is is patriotism because if you think about how you know who who these perpetrators are, where they are, and you know what they potentially do with the data and money, it's really not a good idea to pay them a penny more than you have to. So you I, we have a personal responsibility to, like, if we see there's room to reduce, we we do. Um, now, we'll follow the clients directly. They say, hey, look, we're good. There have been cases where that's been true, where we said, look, I can get this person. We got them from seven figures to low six figures, and I'm relatively confident we can get it to five. And their cyber insurance company says, nope, let's pay it and move on. And those, while that's frustrating, um, that's a business decision, and that's up to them. Um, but yeah, if we see room to continue to go, we will. Or if we feel like we've hit a wall and we're only going, it's only going to get worse from here and we didn't quite make the number, um, we will communicate that. Uh, we'll leave it up to the client, of course, on whether to proceed or not. Um, but it, a lot of it's by feel. And a moment here, if you want to brag, uh, what's the most amount of money that you've ever saved a single client in a negotiation? Oh, I mean, millions. We. Uh, I don't know if I could say eight figures necessarily, maybe close, millions. And, and we've had cases where on the smaller end where the threat actors have asked for millions and we've paid, you know, 5000 <laughs> And on the other side of things, do you ever fail a ransomware negotiation, either by not quite getting as much money back as your client wanted, or maybe a, a negotiation just goes all to hell and, and you don't get anything out of it? Of course. So what are the factors that lead to failure? 
Well, it depends on the group, but uh, you know, a lot of these th- threat actors have a script. When they go off script, sometimes it's disruptive. Um, or if we've misinterpreted the technical situation, uh, that can be tricky. We call those string alongs. What I mean, the customer is not technically adept enough to recognize this and did not communicate it on the front end, but the threat actor has encrypted batches of files with multiple decryptors or, or encryptors. And so you would need more than one decryptor to to undo the damage. And not knowing this, uh, you can negotiate a number and then say, okay, here's one decryptor. Now you owe us more. You know, the other thing is when they when they go off script or or for example, they they do examine, you know, the financial data a lot and uh, or carefully and and they're smart enough to understand what the client can actually pay. Um, you know, the client's going to set a number much lower than that naturally. And the client's insistence on sticking to that lower number when the objective financial facts state otherwise can cause a situation where I would consider like not just we fail, but we, you know, collectively fail with the client. Lastly, with everything we've learned today, can anybody who's now heard this conversation go out into the world and negotiate with their own ransomware attackers? I, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend it. Think of it as an investment in paying a, a response firm to help you with this. You know, it, it isn't just the negotiation tactics, which anybody can read the books that I talked about. Um, anybody can take a, you know, a Harvard, you know, online class on negotiation and become quite good at negotiation. But what you're missing is some of those nuanced factors that we talked about, like understanding the language, understanding the technical components. You know, our core business is digital risk. So there's an intelligence component, understanding the threat actors' actual technical capabilities, whether they honor the ransoms traditionally, how long it usually takes, what they normally ask for and what they normally settle for. All this stuff is, um, you can't just learn overnight. You have to do a lot of these to be really, really good at it. CK music, 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 music.